Our scripture for the sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and then leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off from your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and they went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you will join me in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. May all that's done in this service today do nothing other than help us to seek justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you. Amen. I've always thought there's a certain kind of grace and confidence needed to go do something by yourself. My journey of being comfortable doing things by myself started my senior year of college. I had two roommates I spent most of my time with, and every weekend I would go home and uh, mostly do laundry, but also watch Game of Thrones with my parents, which quickly became an awkward show to watch with your parents. And it just so happened that my senior year of college, mom and dad went away for Christmas to go see a sibling that lived out of state. Uh, we don't feel too bad for me. We celebrated Christmas earlier. And then my roommates, they all had family or significant others that they went to go see on Christmas. So I spent Christmas Day alone. And the final The Hobbit movie was in theaters. I really love Lord of the Rings, and even though I found The Hobbit movies to be disappointing, I thought I would treat myself by going to this movie on Christmas Day. And I say treat myself because my senior year in college, I didn't have a ton of money, my work schedule was not very regular, and I wasn't going to a free screening at Kent State or the $5 movie night. I was going to an actual movie theater and getting popcorn and pop. This was a treat, especially because the last haircut I got that year, I paid for in coins that I had collected all throughout the year. <laughs> so I bought my ticket, I walked into the theater, and my campus minister's son was working the concession stand, and I felt this wave of shame wash over me for going to the movie theater alone. And I think that's especially funny because when you go to a movie, you sit in silence for two hours. So how does it help to have somebody there with you? I'm glad I got over that feeling of shame. And I don't really know why we think it's shameful or weird to go to a restaurant or a movie alone or a show or a museum. And I had to get real comfortable real fast doing things alone. Uh, in grad school, I was a frequent solo visitor to the Greek place down the street. Uh, 
I got to know the waiters and the owner, and I'm very glad I did that. And even partnering with Anissa and having her own special places and doing things together all the time, if you watch even one episode of a show we're watching together by yourself, it's a crime, and she is the one that commits the crime more often than I am. Even though we were partnered together and doing things together all the time, I would still go alone to write sermons at the Mediterranean place on 55th and then traveling in Europe. So it gave me a lot of time to think and reflect and just be comfortable being alone. But through all of grad school and all of our ministry classes, at this time when I was forming my own comfortability with being alone, all of our ministry classes were always taught with two teachers. And the oft-repeated phrase in those classes was to never do ministry alone. If you're a solo pastor, find a community of pastors to be networking with. If you're a co-pastor, rely on your other co-pastors, just never do ministry alone. And Jesus says something similar. He instructs the 12 to go and do ministry, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim the liberation of God. And this is the beginning of something new for the disciples. Jesus starts calling the disciples in Luke 5, and from then on, they mostly spend their time traveling with Jesus, watching him teach and heal and perform miracles. And then in this passage in Luke 9, Christ gives them the power and the authority and sends them out to do ministry for themselves. The students go away from the teacher and they do their own thing. The beginning of something new. So Christ gives them important advice on how to go about doing this new thing with new people. In the analogous scripture to this one in the Gospel of Mark, it says Jesus began to send them out two by two. His first point of advice, much like the advice for my teachers in ministry class, is to take somebody with you. When you go to do ministry, when you go to heal the sick, when you go to live out the gospel, you cannot do it alone. Or if you do it alone, you probably won't be doing it for long. And is this not true for most things we begin in life? Whatever we do, wherever we go, whatever new things we begin, we should not do it alone. I mean, beyond going to a movie or a restaurant. Those big things in life. We should have company on the way. A life coach, a partner, a teacher, a mentor, a friend, an accountability buddy, a family member, there should be somebody traveling by your side, sometimes even literally. I broke this rule driving from Colorado to California and back, but I had Duke in the back seat, so it's halfway there. But we're called to go through life together. We're not called to journey alone. And we're constantly reminded of this throughout the scriptures. A reminder that Christ says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. And the disciples 
in this passage in Mark, they're sent out in twos. A constant call to be in community together. And then the Apostle Paul writes that we join into one body made of many parts. We do it together. And Christ goes on to give more advice. He tells the disciples the seemingly odd advice of bringing nearly nothing with them. Now Christ knew that God's providence would cover the apostles, the disciples. They could go out fully relying on God for everything they need, therefore witnessing to God's care for them in front of those who they encounter. And surely others could take up a path that God lays before them with the assurance that all will be cared for because they've seen the disciples do that very same thing. And I think also that for the disciples, this is a challenge to be open and receptive. If you have to rely on the kindness of strangers to get around in life, pretty quickly they are no longer strangers. And it's a call to simplicity. If you're living an itinerant life, it's best to only have the essentials that you absolutely need. It's like packing light for a camping trip. You know what's important and what's necessary, and everything else can be let go. And spiritually, I think a call to simplicity a call to bring only that which you need into the journey ahead. It keeps us from trying to force something into being what it is not. If you only have the bare essentials, you have to be open to what God is giving you, to what is around you, and you can't try to make something something it isn't. Christ says to the disciples to stay where you are, where they'll have you, and it's time to leave, go. Do your good work, and if they don't take you in, let it be so. Don't force the issue. Speak to those willing to listen. Heal those who are open to healing, but do not force something to be anything other than what it is. This is not to say that the disciples can't change things. I'm sure they silver-tongued talked their way into living an extra day or two with somebody and I know they changed lives with their preaching and their healing and their good works, but they did not abide in places where they could not abide. They didn't make the situation worse for themselves by trying to live in a hostile place. I think that's good life advice. It's advice that churches need to hear, to go where they'll have you, and to live in the ways that they live. A few years ago, we began a ministry partnership with Beyond the Rainbow, and the partnership has mostly taken the form, not only, but mostly taken the form of dedicating an entire room for them. And unfortunately, I got some mixed news last week. Resilience 1220, which is the parent group for Beyond the Rainbow, they now rent a building in Evergreen, and it's big, beautiful space that is a really good thing for them. 
It increases their capacity for the work they're doing. They have a home base. They're not running around everywhere, scrambling to get things together. But after thinking it through, Heather said it just makes sense for most of their groups and most of their stuff to all be in the same place. And so it just makes sense for Beyond the Rainbow to meet where the rest of the programming for Resilience 1220 is going to be. So I think around April time that they're going to stop meeting here at the church. They're going to start meeting at their building. When I answered the phone, I think the first thing she said was, I didn't want to make this call. She so values the partnership and the space, but it's just time. Things have changed. And so while the suicide support group, suicide loss support group will still meet here at the church, the room is going to get a fresh coat of paint, furniture will be donated, and beyond the rainbow, we'll start meeting at this cute little place next to the Bergen Park Rec Center. So they're not very far. And now we can respond to this as a church by bringing a bunch of baggage with us. We can load ourselves down with the way things used to be or the way we think they're supposed to be. We cannot accept it. We can be resistant. We can try to hold on to them and keep them here. Or we can be simple. We can do the most with what God has given to us. And we can adapt because our ministry with Beyond the Rainbow is not over, even if their usage of the room might be over. And there are a myriad of ways we can continue being in ministry with Beyond the Rainbow. Heather said there's a couple of panel sessions coming up, and they always need volunteers and even baked goods for those sessions. Things at local high schools and rotary clubs where their kids speak or mental health experts speak. And as their use of the room ends, it marks an end, but also a beginning of new ways we can support them and perhaps more personally involved ways, more interactive ways that we can support them. And perhaps God is calling us out of complacency and into places of growth in this moment. As this form of ministry ends, we're called to new forms, new beginnings to the ministry. And we are called to not ever do it alone. There's no way we could provide the mental health care and the connections and the space and the expertise that Beyond the Rainbow provides, but there is a lot we can provide. And we're better off doing it together. We're better off not trying to do this alone, and I think Beyond the Rainbow knows they're better off not trying to do this alone too. And I think that this ending is also a reminder that much like beginnings and the new things in life, that in endings, it's good to be simple, to be swift, to be open to the circumstances around us, to call a duck a duck and to call a spade a spade. And it's a reminder that in endings much like beginnings, we should never go alone. 
And the endings don't always mean there isn't a new beginning.